FM, this is Etch the Edges, where we climb the steep cliffs of the divide, the issues that separate us from the right and the left, and we do the hard work of closing that divide to find the common ground we know we all share. I'm B.S. Brown, your host, and together we will etch the edges. America has often been at the crossroads, and here we are again. What do we do now, and how do we do it? Together, let's get into it. Our purpose? To do the work. To truly peel away at the extremes. For it's the extremes that divide us. The tail is wagging the dog. Small groups of people with outsized voices are commanding the stage. And the rest of us? Well, we suffer for it. It's time for all that to change. Let's lean into discomfort, have the hard conversations, and together, let's etch the edges. Welcome back to Etch the Edges. Today, our very special guest is Lee Smith. Now, Lee is going to regale us and lead us into discomfort along some, some very potent and powerful racial lines. I really want you folks to pay attention to what he has to say. As we know, the show is about closing the ideological divide. Now, we really do understand. We can't do that if we're not willing to be open and honest with each other. So. I want you to hear what he's got to say. Internalize it. It'll be challenging to hear, I'm sure, especially when you consider the area in which he's going to talk about. But he's gonna lean in, he's gonna tell us what's what, and then I want you guys to internalize it, and then we're gonna take it from there. So Lee, welcome to the show. Why, thank you, Derek. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. I, I, what I wanna do is, um, it's just really, in, in what you sent me, and a little bit of what we did online, you know, it, it's powerful. And I want you to lean in, just let it go. Okay. Well, my story, first of all, I, I worked in the media. I was a uh, cinematographer and I was also a police officer. So I've sort of been on both sides of the aisles of all of this. And I do want to say, I started in uh, television in uh, 1971. And I worked for PBS station WGBH here in Boston, Massachusetts. Now, what is interesting, uh, WGBH is known as an extraordinarily uh, liberal institution. Uh, you see a lot of black faces on uh, television. And, and by the way, those black faces are there because of the years that I've had to fight to get black people on TV. But when I started working here, the only thing they would allow us to do was to take a broom and sweep the studios and clean things up. Mm. Now, <clears throat> I had uh, been to broadcasting school, so I, when I arrived there, I understood and I knew the business. They would not give me an opportunity to touch a camera, to do audio, to do anything. These jobs all went to the white crew people. They even would hire people there out of the mail room that came in after we had been there and put them in positions. Mm. Well, <clears throat> excuse me, I started to complain about this because it was uh, getting absurd when you're bringing people that 
had no broadcasting background, no television background, and suddenly they're putting them in and moving them up in front of us. Well, the more I complained, the angrier management became with me. So what they did, they decided to come up with an evaluation of cameramen. And the purpose of that evaluation was supposed to decide who gets the camera assignments and who don't get them. Well, the results of the um, evaluation with, came out with all black, three black cameramen being put at the bottom. Now, these were, this evaluation was headed by white management that hated me, and they made sure that I came out at the bottom. I was at the very bottom. Now, and, 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 and I want to jump in real quick on, on that one, because yeah. we talk about, and, you know, and that's a powerful word. We, we, we know it's a powerful word, the word hate. Now, we say the management hated and they applied an evaluation to a process whereby the people of color ended up at the bottom. And how can, what do we get to say that says this management, they were hateful. How do we qualify that? How do we go, I know they were hateful. You know, we are people of color and we know yes. no. So when you ask me to describe and explain to you and validate how that hate actually was realized, I, I want you to share that. How, how, did, how did you know these people hated you, man? Well, number one, they, what was going around the station was that everybody was fine, everything was, everybody loved each other until I arrived. Ah. Now, here's what was going on. There were crew members that, had no problem with using the n-word mm. this was a frequent word that was used when i got there and in fact i was up on what they call the echo lift doing lighting and the person told me point the light down this way toward me sambo Ooh. think about that wow i came down off that echo lift and i grabbed him by the collar Mm. And I told him very clearly, if you call me anything ever again, but what my name is, I'm, I had a wrench in my hand. I said, I will take your head off. Okay. <laughs> so it became like, oh, what's wrong with this Lee guy? You know, he's not like everybody else. We don't like him. He's a troublemaker. Now I'm the troublemaker mm. because I want to be respected and refused. Now <clears throat> they got one of the black, gentleman that had been there that's put up with all that nonsense he was supposed to like take me off to the side to tell me and i'll tell you the exact words he says you know when you're here working with these people silence is golden don't say anything i said you know that's you but that's not me you know i'm going to speak up so <clears throat> what they did was they got uh people to turn against me everything was great until he got here and then they began to try to make, you know, life miserable for me in every way that they can. But they would write performance evaluations on me that were just outrageously ridiculous. Um, one in particular, I'm kind of skipping all over the place here, but. No, no, that's in, fine. Let it go. In, in 19, <laughs> 1985, one of my colleagues had got up the nerve to finally file himself a, a, a discrimination suit against the company. Well, I was called into my uh, supervisor's office. He says, look, Lee, 
you stay out of it because they know. <laughs> and, I, and, and as long as you stay out of it, you know, you and I will be fine. But you stay out of it. Don't talk to any investigators or anybody. I told him, you don't tell me what to do and who I can talk to. I says, if they come to question me, I'm going to tell them exactly what I've seen and what I have witnessed in this place. So sure enough, uh, when they investigated, they talked to me and I told them all the racism and that what happened to the other brother there and, um, and that I backed him uh, 100% because he had done nothing wrong to be treated the way they were treating him. In fact, <clears throat> they treated this guy so bad that he became ill. He oh, was one of those guys that were emotionally uh, couldn't take it. Yeah. He just didn't have the stomach to deal with that kind of racism, okay? Well, <clears throat> I, um, I did testify for him. I talked to the investigator and in turn, I got an evaluation from my supervisor that was absolutely ridiculous. It's now, that particular year, my work was nominated for um, eight Emmy nominations and I won an Emmy. And I was also um, won the Francis Hatch Award for WGBH, my camera work, wow. okay? Now, the evaluation that he had written on me started out with, this must be a year that, uh, this must be a year that cannot be repeated again. In other words, he's jumping right into the negative nonsense. And then he goes on about, your performance has been awful and your attitude has been da 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 and this and that. I mean, it was just an outrageous evaluation. Now, now under the Massachusetts law, uh, there must not be a hint of retaliation for, against anyone that participates in a, um, a hearing or as a witness. Well, to show you how PBS is so <clears throat> strong and powerful here, they have all of these agencies locked up under their control. So what does the agency find? There was no retaliation. Can you believe that? Wow. No retaliation. And in, in, in the brother's case, they dismissed his case. But now, you're a troublemaker. Yeah. Okay, so the, the Massachusetts Commission Against Discrimination said there was no retaliation against me. And it was right there to see. And even the investigator that investigated had written in a report that Mr. Smith had won Emmys, he had been this and the other and so on and so forth. So it's very clear that that was that I was retaliated against. So let's, let's, again, let's, let's be clear on the environment, right, Lisa? I mean, yeah, right. we're, we're laying it out. You're talking about you got an evaluation in a year when you were uh, awarded an Emmy. You said yeah. eight nominations. And yes. in addition to that, the environment, when we talk about normalcy within the studio, within the offices of WGBH, what you're sure. dealing with is a place where it's supposed to be attitudinally, you know, for you, acceptable to be called the N-word on a consistent basis, because that's just kind of how we talk. And yeah. you should be accepting of the fact that as you're working, if someone calls you a Sambo, well, they're just joking. It's, it's, it's really not that big a deal. And you shouldn't be offended. That's, that's, that's the environment in which you're supposed to thrive, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Just and, want to make sure we got that clear. And if you complain about that, then you're a troublemaker. You're the troublemaker. 
you're the troublemaker. Nobody likes him because he can't, you know, we can't say whatever we want to say to him. And by the way, I was never one of those people that went around using the N-word. I just don't do that because I think that it, it makes people think that it's okay for them to say whatever they want to say to you. So I don't use that word and I never have used it, except in my writings when I say somebody called me a nigga. Yeah. You have to put that in your writing. And I don't use the N-word in my writings because I want it to be known. This is what they said to feel uh, what I have experienced. Um, so what, you know, the thing that's interesting about all of this is when I took my case to the federal court, now this is where things are really incredible. You see, all of these judges here, they are, well, they donate to WGBH money. They attend their functions. They attend their fundraising functions and their families, their wives, and all, they're all connected with these people. So when you, <clears throat> when you go to court, and I, and I learned this along the way, mm-hmm. when you go to court, because the first, you know, I was thinking, well, the judges, will, they're going to see this, and I'm going to win this case. Real plain and well, simple. Plain and simple. The facts stood out. So what do I find is happening? I get in a court, the first judge that had the case, he held on to this case for a year doing nothing, absolutely nothing. Then he um, finally acted and says, well, uh, I just recently discovered that I'm friends with the high level executive from WGBH. Uh, therefore, I'm going to recuse myself from the case. Now, after dragging me for a year with nothing, right? Then they send it to this other judge, a judge named uh, Douglas P. Woodlock. This guy gets the case, and I'm going to tell you, you want to talk about how they treat you. Mm-hmm. It's like, how dare? Who do you think you are suing them? Mm-hmm. You don't sue. See, remember, there's also a connection that a lot of people don't understand. These are all Ivy League guys that went to Yale and Harvard. And there's a brotherhood there that people just don't understand. They don't know that it exists. Mm. And when you're outside of that brotherhood and you have the nerve to go against one of their brothers, their job is to do you in as best they can. And they and believe me, this judge, he put me through the ringer. Now, since the evaluation was about my performance and my work, I said, well, Your Honor, let's um, allow me to produce my work and we can see my work and look at my awards and stuff like that. And this will um, show you that the evaluation was um, unfair, certainly not um, reflective of my job performance. I mean, you wanted it. This judge said, no. <laughs> the, the judge said, he denied it. I'm going to deny that. Your request for that is denied. And like, so now the case is dead in the water because I've got nothing to show to dispute what they've said. But here's what he says. They asked for my taxes. They wanted years of my federal and state taxes. I said, Your Honor, what does that have to do with what happened to me at WGB? Their emotions are loud. Your emotions are not. So now... 
I'm trying to fight. Why should I have to give up my taxes? <clears throat> Excuse me. They won the battle. I had to give up five years of my table looking to try to see if we can find something on him. Wow. We've got nothing on his case. But if we could find that he did something in his taxes that were criminal or foul force, whatever, we can get him that way. Mm. See? But they got nothing that way. So then what they did, um, they made, they, they set up um, um, uh, this, I call it a, tried to trap me somehow into some nonsense that did not happen. This guy, my supervisor, his name was John Klaus. John Klaus, Google this man, Google him. He's a thief, he's a con artist. Yeah, I was okay? gonna say, you actually call him a con artist in your writing, yes. no uncertain yes. terms. And this okay. is a guy that was working for what has to be the bastion of public yes. broadcasting. I mean, I'm in Atlanta and even yes. I recognize the WGBH icon. It's yes. from my childhood, literally. Yes. That's right. That's right. So this guy was, I mean, he's a liar, he's cotton in here to everybody. They used him like the, um, the, the whip guy, you know, the guy with the whip that keeps the slaves in order. The crap. <clears throat> and he terrified a lot of people. He couldn't, he couldn't shake me. He couldn't shake me at all. And I didn't take any crap from him. Mm. So I was a target that he knew also he got to go. So what they did during my court case, um, they, well, first of all, while I was out of work, I got, I had, I had gotten an injury and I was out for a while. While I was out, they sent me a derogatory drawing because I got into a dispute with them over a payment that they were supposed to pay me. Send me, I received a derogatory drawing in the mail and it said something like uh, no cash smart ass nigga. Wow. Think about that. <laughs> now, the reason I knew it was from my supervisor because he had told me to my face that the management considered me to be a smart ass nigga. Those are his words to me. Wow. Okay, this is WGBH. And so when I got that drawing in the mail, I knew it was linked to him, all right? So the, as the case went on, this judge then decides to try to um, uh, get me uh, hooked up with some other nonsense they were pulling. So the judge decides he's gonna call in FBI agents to investigate me. Now think about this. This is a race discrimination case of retaliation. <clears throat> this judge calls in uh, FBI agent, um, some guy named Shane Felton, I forget what the other guy's name, to look at my writings and stuff like that, which is stupid. So um, uh, I, I was down in New York on this particular weekend. I come back home. I find a letter telling me to report to the courthouse on a Monday morning or some, something like that. Well, I've been away, so I wasn't able to be there. So then they said, now you defy the judge's order. It's like if you're away and you come home and find something telling you you gotta be somewhere that, and you're not even here to get the notice. Now the judge, you defied my order. What order? I can't, how do I defy something if I don't have it? 
until I get home and I see it. So then he says, well, unify my order. And then he decided that he's going to send me, um, um, he has this FBI agent, he wants me to do a writing samplers, it's just stupid stuff. Now, mind you, what all of this was about was to try to intimidate and scare me. And, and while the judge is doing this, WGBH's lawyers sends me a note. Well, you know, we can make the judge stop if you just uh, resign your job and, and settle it that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and they're telling me in a notice they can make the judge stop if I just resign. And, and okay, so I told them to take the note and, then, and, and, and shove it because I'm not resigning from anywhere. So the judge goes full bore and um, the judge writes a finding. Listen to this. I find that you are, you, you perjured yourself. I find that you obstructed my investigation and your case is dismissed. There was no perjury. There was no obstruction of any of what, investigation of any sort. But here's the, here's the problem with that. You know, those are criminal charges. And how do you punish someone without trying them on those charges that you're making them, make it run. I told the judge, I filed the paper, I said, all right, Your Honor, if I did these criminal things, then turn it over to the U.S. Attorney. If I instructed, uh, uh, obstructed your federal investigation, turn it, and this is all in writing, turn it over to the federal, uh, 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 to the uh, U.S. Attorney, and let's move for prosecution of me. I filed this as a motion. Prosecute me if you find that I obstructed. Perjury and obstruction of a federal investigation is a crime. Yeah. You know, he sends me a notice back, do it yourself. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. Uh, Seriously. Yes. Yeah. This, these people should document it. Do it yourself. Well, wait a minute. You're the one that's saying, I make, you know, but see, they thought that they would pull all of this crap and that it was scared of a Jesus out of me and I go running, but they miscalculated me. Okay. So in any event, they, then WGBs turned around and said, well, based on the judge's finding, we're, we're not going to allow you to return to work from, from uh, sick, from being sick, out sick. So they wouldn't allow me to return to work. I turned around and filed a grievance to a union that wasn't, that they were racist to, but I filed it to them. <laughs> okay. We go. You know, this is over a period of time, you know, it takes time to, to get these things to hearing and so on and so forth. But we go to um, arbitration. Now, if you live here in Massachusetts, you understand the Harvard boys, they wear their little bow ties and this and that. They all kind of look and act the same. And I'm going to tell you, these are people that are on the record that are liberal. Trust me when I tell you. Right. These are people that on the record are liberals, okay? So I go to the um, arbitration here. I told the lawyer for the union, I says, look, you know, I don't trust this guy, you know. They know, oh, well, that's what we're going to get. This is the arbitrator, this is him. Now, WGBH, when they have fundraisers to people that would give the most money, a certain amount of money, you get a WGBH umbrella. So the arbitrator gets there, and this, and by the way, the moron says this, and the stenographer, thank God, 
piped it in, says to the president of WGBH, hey, um, if I rule for you, do I get my umbrella? Oh, wow. Okay, and, and this is a ha-ha-ha laughing matter between them. I'm dead in the water. This guy gives money to the station. He's going to rule on my case, and they're talking about a damn umbrella while my livelihood is lying there in the balance. Am I going to have a job? Am I going to pay my mortgage? Anyway, the man, the ruling came down eight weeks later, whatever, from the arbitrator. And part of what this moron said, that uh, WGBH was right to not allow me to return to work because I was too intelligent and they had the fear that they, in, in effect, I'm a smart black guy that they should not allow to be there. Now we got to pause on that for a minute because we have to <laughs> let that statement settle. Yeah, okay. And, 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 I, and I want to let it settle because, you know, in an effort to close the ideological divide and, and again, share with others, especially our brothers and sisters of different ethnicities, they really need to understand that we don't make this stuff up. That this is right. right. That we yes. just said is that an organization, a bastion of, of, of liberal media and, and, and exposure actually said to you through this litigation that you're too damn smart to stay around. And we yes. that's yeah. that, That's how that rolled. That's how that went yeah. down. Yes, yes. That's astounding. And now, 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 here's the catch to this guy. Um, we're about almost 30 years uh, away from that. But within recent months, you know, I wrote this arbitrator. You got to hear this. I says, look, you know, what you did to me was wrong. And um, this guy, oh, God, this guy had the nerve to write back to me. And he says, well, you know, um, I, I'm not a racist. I marched with Martin Luther King. Okay? Now, wait. <laughs> I'm not done. I marched with Martin Luther King. And, that, um, and I wrote him back. I said, so you think Martin Luther King would have approved what you did to me? Okay? Do you think he would have approved of that? But let me tell you here. I, after he told me that, I decided to do a little research on this guy. Right. And I found typical, he lied. Uh, he had Marjorie King and nothing. And yeah. he'd been in many, um, shall I say, um, uh, what they call it. They had, he was involved in what they call fireside chats, where he talked about his entire life with audiences that asked him questions and stuff like that. Never once did King come up. Now, that's a big part of your life if you're Marjorie King. Yeah. Nothing about any March McKing. I wrote him back to Tony you're a liar. You never marched with him. You know, and then what I find, a lot of these guys, if you watch them very carefully, whenever you call them out on their racism, they're gonna always tell you they did something for King or they marched. That's the whole story. Yeah. Now, um, it's just a fact, you know, that they always throw that in there because they figured that there's no way of proving that they didn't. But right. in his case, I was able to prove that he didn't, Marjorie King. And I embarrassed him. And I told him, and I told him, and I sent an email that went to him and other people that knew him in the industry. I embarrassed the heck out of him because he got caught in the old Marjorie King lie. All right? <laughs> now, the other thing I want to tell you, uh, oh, by the way, back to the court matter. Yes, yes. I appealed 
that and the appeal was on I was denied due process because you cannot charge me with federal crime of obstruction of justice without me being going through a jury and a court hearing and all that. Well, the judge that made the decision that ruled in favor of W.G. Bates was Judge Stephen Breyer, who <laughs> insists on the United States Supreme Court as a liberal, okay? He ruled against me and ignored the issue of the obstruction of justice, totally ignored it. Now, here's what's interesting about Breyer. <clears throat> now, there was a, um, a prisoner being held by the government in Guant Guant Guantanamo Bay. This guy was being held as a possible terrorist or something to that effect. I happened to have read Judge Breyer's uh, decision on that. He ruled that this guy was not given his constitutional rights and, they shouldn't have, and he reversed it. But here I am an American citizen, a black African-American, American citizen, and mine didn't mean jack, that my constitutional rights were violated. And see, a lot of brothers, they think that these people on the courts, because they get appointed by a, a liberal president, they think that, oh, we got a good guy with us. No, the way these people work, they do you in behind closed doors, they shut up the people that stand up against them. And they have their way of working to get you, okay? Now, this is Judge Breyer. Now, Judge Breyer lives in the same neighborhood as the former uh, WG Bates' CEO, David O. Ives. Mm -hmm. Now, David Ives, uh, there was years ago, and this was in the newspaper, he said, I will refuse to take any money from the corporation abroad, uh, CPB, uh, the, 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 the corporation that funds GBH, if it means he has to do minority program or hire minorities. Oh. Yeah. Ooh. Now he and Breyer are neighbors and buddies. Wow. Okay. You see, the, the, follow the connection. Wow. They're buddies. Okay. So that mindset is the same. Now, what, what, now, now what woman, was that, Lee, when, when, when we talk about Okay, um, state. I, okay, David, David, now David Ives, he's passed away now, but he was the GBH CEO in about 1980 or 79, something like that. Got there's it. a history, there's a history with these people. There's a history, okay? And, and it, they, they pass it on to the next CEO, and the next CEO is that same mindset. So can we say and, can we say this then? Because what, what, what you describe, and we know, we 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 know, there's advocacy for each other in places of power, and there are networks that they leverage in order to make whatever it is they need or want or have to do viable. We as people of color don't necessarily have access to those in general. We don't have right. access to those networks. Period. Full stop. We get invited in. And however it plays out, someone of us, not too many ever, get that invite and we get the due benefits of it. But by That's and right. large, what you're describing is that those of us in the aggregate, we're not invited to the table. We don't get to get into the store. Now, Absolutely. what I want to do, Lee, on this one, because, you know, we've, we got we to take a break. 
is okay. remember what I want to do is we want to pick up right where we left off. Um, okay. We have a lot to unpack. And oh. one of the things that you wrote about it, and you mentioned it before we got started is, you know, I grew up in the South. You know, I'm a Georgia boy. I'm a Southern gentleman born and bred. By the way, I was born in Georgia. Well, wait, and there you go. So you, you, you know that you live the disparity. And that's something that a lot of folks, you know, now yeah. as things are gearing up, you know, we talk about yeah. folks of color in the North versus folks of color in the South. We have a lot of similar ground to unpack because folks right. are really coming to understand that some folks may have moved up North, but they didn't escape the vagaries right. and the violence right. of that's living right. a life of color. And that is that's something right. we just cannot discount. Right, absolutely. You know, um, I was born Fort McPherson. My, my, my dad was a career military man. So that's how, you know, I was born there. But I was born like um, in 1948. So I was a boy and I saw colors here, white here, colored yeah. this and colored that. I lived through that, back of the bus. And, and the difference in being down there, you're on the back of the bus up here too. You just don't know it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Lee, what we're going to do when we return is we're going to unpack that straight from the back of the bus all the way to the Supreme Court, right? All yes, right. We'll be back in yes, a moment. Indeed. We're not done yet. This is the end of part one of our conversation with Lee Smith. His recounting of his personal experience is something we need more of, not less. We often say we're tired of hearing the stories, hearing the same refrain over and over again. But the difference is that though the setting is the same, it's always a different story, every time. And they need to be told. We need to hear them, dive deep into them, until they truly resonate with all of us. That's the work. So be sure to listen to part two. Enjoy, listen, and learn. So please, like and subscribe. Tell your family, tell your friends. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Etch the Edges. And don't forget to visit our website at EtchTheEdges.com. Check us out and pick up some of that swag that will express your commitment to the cause, the cause of a better America, where we all can stand together at the mountaintop. Do it for America. Be good to yourselves and each other. We'll see you in part two.